This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes. Carlson, yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy yes. Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pool. Yes. <laughs> we are in the middle of the preseason series, and we've got a huge, huge episode today. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is Brian Com. Hey, Elon. Hello, Keeping Carlson listeners. We are inching ever so closer to the season, and Elon, we just made a big decision about the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, or the Cupful. I like the acronym, <laughs> the Cupful, or the Kick a Cupful. Potato, potato, but really the big decision was that we are going with ESPN, the dark horse, in our conversations about which fantasy platform to use. We are going to host our pool over at ESPN. We detailed our reasoning over on the Facebook group, and we're really excited for the year ahead. And Elon, that is like a huge load off our shoulders. We've been discussing this and like agonizing over this choice for like the last month or two because we do want it to be the best fantasy hockey league ever. And we wanted to pick the site that would suit our needs the most. We settled on ESPN and I'm excited to see how it's going to go. Yeah, this league is going to be so fun. Our patrons are probably the smartest people when it comes to fantasy hockey. So if you join our league... That means that you are going to be competing with the best, and it's not too late. The sign-up deadline is September 15th, so if you want to join the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron League, the Cocuffle, what is it again? Cupful. The Cocuffle. The Cocuffle. Cocuffle. K-Cup. All you need to do is sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Maybe we'll bring that up again a little bit later in the show, but okay, we got to get down to our content today because, Brian, today is Schmorgolisborg Day! And to celebrate, you said it correctly. Well done, Elon. This is like one of our biggest episodes of the year. No doubt about it. We had a huge Smorgolish board last year. So much has changed between then and now. I can't wait to dig in. We're going to give you our tiers for goalies. And Elon, maybe you can explain a bit about what tiering means in fantasy drafts for those who might not be too familiar with the concept. Well, basically, there's like standard fantasy hockey draft preparation where you're just going to kind of list all the players from one to, you know, 500. If you want to get to Valerie Nishushkin, you go from one to 900 or whatever it is on Yahoo rankings. And, you know, for goalies, let's say one to 50. And then as you do your draft, you kind of pick the next best guy available. But the nice thing about tiering and the reason why we're going to be talking about goalie tiers today is that it's nice to know when it's time for your pick and you have to decide between picking a goalie or picking a forward or picking a defenseman. You want to know sort of which goalies 
are on the same level so that if you have a bunch of goalies on the same level available, maybe then you could wait on your pick until the next time because you'll be able to get someone close enough even if your top guy gets taken as opposed to if there's only one goalie left in the tier then you, know, you kind of want to grab him because that means if you don't get that guy, then the next guy you're going to get is going to be a whole tier below. And that's why we think it's important to split up goalies into tiers. And so this episode, we are going to talk about one at a time, what we think the different goalie tiers are, who's where. Brian and I, I'm sure we're going to disagree. And that's what's going to make it fun. So let's just get right into it. Brian, who would you say is in the top tier of fantasy goalies this season, going into this season? So when I constructed my tiers, I looked at three main things. I looked at how good has the goalie been at even strength in terms of save percentage over the last three seasons. I also looked at their situation on the team and I actually signed rankings one through seven, one being an entrenched unchallenged number one goalie all the way down to seven being barely in the NHL and then the third factor that I considered most important was the quality of the team that they're playing for and for that I just used a simple really rough metric for that which was wins from the previous season of course we can expect some of that to fluctuate this year I don't expect anything too wild and of course I've taken any expected fluctuations into account in making my rankings so that leaves in my ultra elite number one tier which has goalies that have great even strength save percentages over the last three years, are in great situations on their teams in terms of their role, and are on great teams as well. Three goalies fit the bill, only three goalies, and those goalies are Henrik Lundqvist, Carey Price, and Braden Holtby. What do you think, Elon? A super elite group, only three in that top tier. Well, we'll definitely have to talk about them one by one, but I think there's definitely some intrigue there. I think there's going to be some people disagreeing with you. A, because you're including Braden Holtby up there. And, you know, last year that would have been crazy. Last year I was taking a look at some rankings from last year around this time. I looked at NHL.com's top 275 fantasy hockey assets, and they had Braden Holtby all the way down at 103. That was a year ago. Their same list just came out uh, yesterday, or an updated version of it, and now Braden Holtby is number 26. So a great jump, and of course it makes sense. He had an amazing year last year with Washington. Washington was a great team last year, and Holtby was the obvious number one guy. He ended up playing 72 games, which was the most in the league. He won 41 of them, which is amazing. Had a 923 save percentage. So all of this to say, Brian, it's interesting that you have Holtby there, but I could see it. But it's also seems kind of crazy to be including him with the guys like Harry Price and Henrik Lundqvist, who have been there all the time. And then there's a notable absence, I think, because last year we were talking about Tuka Rask in that top tier, but I can understand why you haven't included him, because maybe his team isn't as good as we would have considered going into last season. But we'll get into Rask. As far as those top three, I think they're interesting. I want to hear your justification for why Braden Holtby is there and maybe why uh, Pekka Rene isn't. But maybe we should start at the start. (laughs) Let's talk about Carey Price because he has definitely emerged. I don't even think we had him in our top tier last year. We were deciding whether or not to put him there. Now everyone is talking about him as the guaranteed number one goal you have to draft. How did Carey Price make such a jump? Let's not be overly dramatic about it, Elon. We had Carey Price being a great goalie in a great situation last year, and the problem was his team. We weren't sure how good they were, and we found out this year that they're not elite. They are not a great team, but they can still get wins because of Carey Price. And what we learned about Carey Price last year is that he can single-handedly lead his team to a 50-win season. I didn't necessarily have that attribute down for him last year, even though I didn't have much doubt that he could. 
But that's the reason why he is a little higher in my estimation this year than he was last year. And the concern remains that Montreal is not a significantly improved team from last year. They're going to probably have to change the way they play if they really want to take their team and their hopes for contention to the next level. That might involve a coaching change at some point. But for now, they have good personnel. Just they looked a little out of sorts at times last year, like they couldn't keep up with some of the better teams in the league, if not for Carey Price. So Carey Price has willed himself into my top goaltending tier for sure. Oh yeah, and there's also this little thing about him leading the league in even strength save percentage over the last three seasons. I guess that contributed to my decision just a little bit. All right, so definitely we know that Price needs to be there. I am curious to talk about whether or not he should be the obvious first goalie drafted like a lot of people are talking about him as. But let's go through your other two. So you have Lundqvist and Holtby there. Why don't you just give me the rundown on those guys? It's probably pretty obvious. I'm more interested in the people who didn't make the top tier. Sure, let me just fact check what I just said. Carey Price is second best in the league over the last three seasons and even strength save percentage. And we'll get to number one in just a couple minutes. Number one's name is not Lundqvist, though. And it's not Holtby either. So why are those guys up there? Well, Henrik Lundqvist has the track record to beat all track records. He has done it all over the course of his career, except win the cup, of course. But in the regular season, he has been outstanding year after year after year after year. Yes, he's getting older, but I'm not worried about a huge drop off all of a sudden from him. And he's on a team that last year won 53 games. And I feel like they could hit that 50 win mark again this year. He has an elite even strength save percentage with the potential to get an elite number of wins. And that obviously puts him up there. Braden Holtby, yeah, I guess he's like the bridge between tier one and tier two, along with a couple guys who are in tier two, because at some point there gets to be a trade-off between games one and save percentage. You know, which one are you going to value more if you can't have both? And I think Holtby is on the upper end of both of those enough, not necessarily a league leader, but on the upper end enough to tilt him into that top category. Over the last three seasons, he's tied for eighth in the league amongst regular goalies and even strength save percentage and is on a team that won 45 games last year and looks like they're capable of possibly getting more than that this year. And I guess another thing about Holtby worth mentioning, in a league that counts saves and the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League is one of those leagues, he becomes even more valuable because there's not many goalies that can compete with his 72 games played, which means he was probably dominating the saves category. Let me take a look. Yeah, he led the league in saves last year, 1,887. You want to guess who was number two, Brian? Um, maybe Corey Schneider? You're close. Schneider was third with 1,834. Second was Tuka Rask. And it's interesting because Rask played 67 games and Holtby played 72 games, but actually Rask was only 32 saves less. So it goes to show that Washington led in a few more shots per game. But Holtby was obviously up for the challenge because he had that 923 save percentage, a little bit higher than Rask. And I guess that's one of the reasons why he's in the top tier and Rask is one tier below. And I think it's interesting. I don't think there's going to be any arguments from anyone about Lungfist. There's not going to be any arguments from anyone about Price. Brandon Holtby is interesting. And when we get into the second tier, we'll have to talk about why some of these guys didn't make it for you. But you're like saying basically that if you are picking a goalie and Price and Lungfist are taken, you're going Holtby. 
I should clarify that I'm making these tiers with the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League in mind, so the categories we're using there are wins, saves, and save percentage. And I guess, yeah, you're asking me to put my money where my mouth is. We'll really find out on draft day, I guess. But at this point, yeah, Holtby would be my third goalie picked after those top two. With some trepidation, admittedly, like there are a couple guys in tier two who could very well be considered to be better picks than him but hey this wouldn't be any fun if there was no controversy here would it i guess not and okay how about we'll talk about your second tier and then i'm going to tell you who i think i would have in my top tier because i think i'm going to do this a little bit differently than you but let's move on to your second tier so what's your qualifications for getting you into tier two as opposed to tier one all right tier two is more populated with good goalies so not great goalies that's the biggest difference who are still in a great situation, so still entrenched number ones, likely unchallenged, and on a team that is good to great. So a team that 40 wins is not out of the question for maybe 45 even. And there's actually a couple goalies on this list whose teams could hit 50, but their save percentages, their own individual save percentages, took them out of the running for tier number one. I'm going to start with probably the one that is most contentious, Elon, and it's a name that I think you already brought up earlier on the show today. Tuka Rask is in tier two. I'm going to put that out there now so nobody has to be anxious about, oh my goodness, how far is he going to fall? He is comfortably in my second tier, and the reason that he's in the second tier rather than the first is that I think it's probably possible that he could finish with 10 fewer wins on the season than any other goalie in the top two tiers that I've constructed just based on the team he plays for. I'm not saying Boston is the worst team in the world, but they're certainly not going to keep up this year with the Rangers and the Capitals and the Lightning. And, you know, I wonder if I'll eat my words on that one. But anyway, that 10-win difference is enough for me to, to put him in the second tier where he's in a category where he undoubtedly is the best goalie. In fact, he is that league leader that I mentioned. He is the one ahead of Carey Price and even strength save percentage over the last three years. But the lower ceiling on his win total is enough to hold him back into the second tier. Okay, yeah. So definitely very interesting because Rask was like a guaranteed for sure top tier guy going into last season. I'm sure a lot of people would have even drafted him over Carey Price. Actually, here, let me bring up that NHL list from last year again. And we'll link to this in the show notes. It was like three guys from NHL.com that all gave their rankings and they amalgamated them into an overall ranking. And they had Tuka Rask as number nine and Carey Price was down at 28. That was a year ago. This year's list totally flipped. Carey Price is number eight. Tuka Rask all the way down at 44, which by the way, to go back to last week's episode, I would say that Tuka Rask is someone who has ranked way too low on most projections. I think that he is really awesome and probably not deserving of this low ranking and maybe not deserving of being in your second tier. Like, I don't know if Montreal is that much better of a team than Boston. And I know this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say, but I don't even know if Carey Price is going to for sure, for sure be the top goalie next year. I think that some people don't remember that goalies are such voodoo. It's a saying that you said on the podcast last year, like things change so much with goalies. And I'm obviously Carey Price is one of the elite guys 
guys in the league, as is Henrik Lundqvist, as is Tuka Rask. There's some other guys we're going to be bringing into the conversation, you know, Holtby maybe. And it's really hard to predict who's going to be the top goalie. Like, let's look at the Vesna Trophy winners from the last few years. It was Carey Price last year, Rask the year before, Bobrovsky the year before that, then Lundqvist, Tim Thomas, Ryan Miller. Like, the same goalie hasn't won the Vesna since Tim Thomas did in 2008-2009, and then he won it again in 2010-2011. So that's the most recent two-time winner. Maybe Carey Price will do it next year. I think if you could have him as your top goalie, you're golden. But like we had a guy ask us on Facebook about who he should be drafting in the first year of his keeper league. And he was saying he wants to draft Carey Price with his first pick in the first round, kind of no matter where he gets his pick. And I'm not sure that's a smart idea, just because I don't know if Carey Price is necessarily going to be that much better than some of these other guys. And maybe even Tuka Rask, who you could wait a couple of rounds and then get him, he might end up being just as good as your number one goalie in fantasy. Am I being crazy, Brian? No, and that's... Not really a reason that I put him in the second tier too, but I think he is going to fall further than he deserves to fall in drafts this year. And you brought up a good point. If Price is in the top tier because he's a really great goalie on Montreal, is the difference between Montreal and Boston really that big to separate Price and Rask by an entire tier? And to answer that, I can say that Carey Price started 66 games last year, came out with 44 wins. Tuka Rask started 67 games last year, and came out with 34 wins. Now, if Carey Price is not superhuman this year, like you said, we can't be sure that Carey Price is going to post a 9.33 save percentage again, then maybe his number is closer to 34 wins in 66 games than 44, and that would be a reason to consider Price and Rask closer together. It does get a little murky in these top two tiers, and what I tried to do is separate a few guys that you could say above all else, I'm targeting these three, and now we get to the big chunk where you could make an argument for each one, almost each one, that they do deserve to be at the top of the second tier or maybe creep into the first. All right, well, let's go through the rest of the goalies you have in your second tier. Then afterwards, I'll tell you who I think I would have as my split between tier one and tier two, and maybe we can discuss then. So who else do you have in your second tier aside from Tuka Rask? Okay, I've got Marc-Andre Fleury, who's good to put up, you know, a little bit above a league average save percentage with a really high octane superpower team that's going to help him pick up more than his fair share of wins. I've got Ben Bishop, who is actually a little more comfortable in that second tier now with the news that Andre Vasilevsky is going to miss the next two or three months with a blood clot, going to miss training camp gives him less time really to slowly overtake Bishop if he had the opportunity to do so. So Bishop, although there is a slight chance that he's challenged later on in the season, should still get plenty of starts. And I'm not as worried today as I was yesterday about whether or not he sees more than 40, 50 starts over the course of the season. Okay, maybe let me jump in here, Brian. First of all, with Marc-Andre Fleury, I think it's interesting because you mentioned how he's probably going to get a lot of wins and, you know, have an average, maybe above average save percentage. Last year, he had a 920 save percentage, which was really great, but only 34 wins. And of course, we all remember how Pittsburgh really fell off at the end of the year. He wasn't very helpful for most people in their fantasy hockey playoffs. But I think a lot of people are pegging the Penguins to have a comeback next year. And I think Marc-Andre Fleury is a really awesome awesome guy to have in fantasy. I definitely agree with you that he should be in the second tier. And I think a lot of people just don't realize it because they always think about how he chokes in the playoffs. But every year I always think to myself, man, I wish I would have picked Marc-Andre Fleury. He's doing so well. Whenever my opponent has Marc-Andre Fleury, I always feel the pain. 
And then with Bishop, my question to you, Brian, is yeah, Vasilevsky is injured now, but if you were concerned before about Vasilevsky potentially being able to take Bishop's spot or at least challenge, does his injury really make that big of a difference? Because come fantasy hockey playoffs time, when things really matter, Vasilevsky will be healthy. And don't you think it's just as likely that he'll be able to take his spot then? Sure, you could argue that, but I think this might give Bishop a little more rope, a little more time to really entrench himself and make a statement that he is the team's number one goalie. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I asked that just because I was curious to see what your answer would be, but I'll say the same thing. Like, assuming Tampa's awesome next year, which there's no reason to expect them not to be, and assuming Bishop can just hold his own, why would they want to rock the ship? If they go into January and they're one of the top teams in the league, why would they want to change their starting goaltender? I agree with you, Brian. I think Bishop's value does go up, and now he's a definite second-tier guy. I like how you said they don't want to rock the ship. I imagine a little apostrophe before S-H-O-P from Bishop. Uh, Good one. Oh, yes, I'm very clever with words. Okay, who else do you have in your second tier? So far, we've got Rask, Fleury, and Bishop. Well, you've already mentioned him, Elon. Pecorine is in my second tier, and I want to ask you, what made you, you know, have his name jump to mind when he was excluded from my first tier? Well, first of all, I feel like that's just the zeitgeist, right? Like, a lot of people are considering Rene as a top-tier guy. I mean, according to your criteria, we're looking at quality of goalie, quality of a situation, and quality of team. And, like, pecorine has been a really great goalie, as far as I can tell. Has a 919 career save percentage. And last year, he had a 923 save percentage with Nashville. So two seasons ago, he was injured for a lot of it and then came back and wasn't so spectacular. And I think that knocked him down a notch going into last year's drafts. But last year, he played in 64 games, had 41 wins had a, like I said, 923, a very great save percentage, and he's the for sure number one. Like, there's no chance Carter Hutton challenges Pecorine in Nashville. So that's why I would potentially put him as a tier one guy. I'm curious to see what knocked him down for you. Well, Elon, you said a really great goalie and a 919 save percentage, and like, that doesn't really compute for me. Like, really great might be overdoing it just a touch, seeing his last year's average save percentage in the NHL was a 9.15 save percentage. Yes, 9.19 is above it. It is not way above it. So when I say he's an above-average goalie, absolutely, for sure. Is he an elite, top-tier guy? Hasn't shown that yet. Yes, he did have a 9.23 last year, which was fantastic, but his career number still is not up there with that 9.23. And if you look at the last three years, he's actually got like a middle-of-the-road save percentage compared to the rest of the league. You know, that hype train on Rene really rolled in during those two seasons, 2010-11 and 2011-2012, when he posted a 9.30 and a 9.23 save percentage. But until this year, he hadn't been able to come even close to repeating those numbers. And that's why he's in my second tier, being a pretty good goalie in a great situation on a very good team. Okay, that's fair. Can't argue with that. I think a lot of people would have Rene in their top tier. But I think you make a good point that maybe his save percentage doesn't exactly compete with the guys you have in your top tier. But again, we'll see what happens. Goalies are voodoo. It could end up that Pecorine is the far and away most viable fantasy goalie this season. I definitely wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Right, and we're definitely splitting hairs a little bit here. We're trying to really get down to the nitty-gritty. We make no warranties about predicting the future here on Keeping Carlson, but we do do our best to work with the data that we have available to us. Rounding out the second tier, we've got three goalies, so I feel like they're all kind of in the same boat as being good goalies, like pretty much average goalies, maybe a little bit above average, in great situations, 
on very good teams, and those are Frederick Anderson in Anaheim, Corey Crawford in Chicago, and Jonathan Quick in LA. Brian, I think I'm going to again disagree with you a little bit there. I would say that Quick is definitely in a great situation. I agree with you about them being on great teams and being, you know, average to decent goalies. But yeah, Quick is in a great situation in LA. He's not going to lose his spot, especially now that Martin Jones is gone. Yeah, they picked up Jonas Enroth, but I think that Quick has that job pretty well secured. Then you go to Crawford, who like probably is in a good situation in Chicago, but Darling was so great last year, and he even got in a couple of playoff games, I think in the first round when Crawford struggled. So I would be a little bit more concerned about Crawford. I don't know if I would have him in my second tier if that's the criteria of a great situation. I think he's in a good situation. And Frederick Anderson also, I would say, definitely not a great situation because both Kudobin and Gibson, I think, are capable of challenging Anderson. And just the fact that there's two people to challenge instead of one causes me concern. So I would have both of those guys actually in my third tier. Do you see any flaws in my logic? You know, I had a note next to Crawford's name in my tears saying there's a slight chance he could be challenged. And yeah, there is. We saw it last year. Like, Scott Darling seems to be at least as capable as Crawford based on the small body of work we've seen from him so far. But I still think Crawford is the guy that the Blackhawks want to go with based on his contract. And look, he's held off several threats over the course of his time in Chicago already. Ranta just got traded away. A few years ago, one of those early cup wins, it was between him and the Emmy, and he came out being the one that they chose. So I'm not too concerned about his place, but it is worth considering that he probably has the most capable backup of any goalie in the second tier, along with Ben Bishop, of course. And then I want to talk a little bit about Frederick Anderson, actually. I feel like he does not quite get the respect he deserves. Yeah, his save percentage was nothing to write home about last year, but he did earn that number one job in Anaheim. And the Ducks won 51 games last year, so having the number one goalie on a team that won 51 games just one year ago is a pretty helpful thing. Now, mind you, he's played a lot fewer minutes than a lot of other regular goalies in the NHL over the last three years, but in that time... He is like in the middle of the road in terms of even strength save percentage, which actually puts him right alongside guys who you might think would be better offhand, like Jonathan Quick, Brian Elliott, Semyon Varlamov, Devin Dubnik, Marc-Andre Fleury he's ahead of. Again, we've seen about half as much work from him than we have those other names. So, you know, maybe that'll change as he adds more and more to his NHL resume. But he's not that far off in terms of the numbers he's been able to put up. And he's on a very strong and powerful team at the same time. Is now also the time to maybe share my theory on the Kudobin-Gibson situation? Please. I think we're all scratching our heads about that one. Yeah, totally. I have no inside info on this at all. And there's been so little written or shared or leaked about the whole situation. But my thought is that when the Ducks signed Kudobin, that was them kind of saying that they think Gibson could use another year in the AHL or is further from taking that number one job than they had initially thought. Now it's only a one-year contract, so hey, they're not making any big investment in Kudobin or in blocking Gibson's path to get back to the NHL either as a number two, a 1B, a 1A, or a number one. We still don't know where his true potential stands. But to me, it signals that they do still think that Frederick Anderson is the one guy that they know they can count on going into the season. Kudobin, we talked about on Smore Goalie Sport last year, about being a guy who could easily challenge and take over the number one spot in Carolina. He faltered terribly trying to do that, which kind of 
decreases the confidence I have in him to do the same in Anaheim, especially if he's playing for a team that can win games without much regard for who's playing in net as long as they can put up an average NHL save percentage, and that's something that Frederick Anderson did last year and that they can count on him to do again this year. Okay, you make some good points. Maybe Anderson is a bit more solid in his position than I was suggesting. But at the same time, I don't know, it's a little concerning. And especially in our Keeping Carlson League where saves is a category, there's an extra premium on goalies that you're just like for sure confident that they're going to play a lot of games. Anderson just, I get a little scared. But you make good points about how Kudobin and Gibson might not be as strong challengers as people are suggesting. Okay, so you've rounded out your top two tiers. You've named 10 goalies. In terms of drafting strategy... I guess you're kind of thinking that you want to have at least one of these 10 goalies as your number one goalie? Yeah, I think you're in really good shape if you can get one of these guys to be your number one goalie. There are a few guys in tier three who could still definitely get the job done, but these guys are all going to get you the wins and they'll put up average save percentages at worst, likely a couple points above average. Okay, so I was going to share where I differed with you on a couple of these, but actually I think you'll need to give your third tier first, because I have a couple of guys in my second tier that are in your third tier. So why don't we just cover who you have in tier three and explain how you define that, and then afterwards I'll I'll bring in my my, uh, alterations. And by the way, for the people listening, definitely you want to go with Brian's list over mine. But if you want to hear my thoughts, I'll I'll give them to you. But Brian, what's your qualifications for tier three and who made the cut? Okay, before I get to tier three, I just want to do a little bit of explaining because you've heard me reference even strength save percentage so many times. I'm going to keep doing it over the rest of the show. And I want to explain why I'm using that over just plain old raw save percentage. Right, yeah, because we use raw save percentage as the actual category in fantasy hockey. But when you're determining the value of goalies, you're using something different. I'd love to hear why. Yeah, so I'm using even strength save percentage because 80% of a team's minutes are played at even strength. So if we want to see what is going to contribute the most to a goalie's overall save percentage... We can take a look at that 80% played at even strength and say, that's what I want to know. Well, what about the other 20%? The thing is, is that it can fluctuate quite a bit from year to year, depending on the goalie. Power play save percentage obviously isn't going to be a huge factor because a goalie doesn't face a ton of shots when their team has a power play. But when their team is killing off a penalty, they're going to face a ton and they're actually going to get pounded. Penalty kill save percentages are way lower than even strength save percentages. But again, they do tend to fluctuate somewhat on a year-to-year basis. Usually, if a goalie is having a really great out-of-their-mind year, you can actually look to their penalty kill save percentage and see that they are doing phenomenally in that category, and that would explain why they've been able to improve their career save percentage number. So basically, you're saying that when you're trying to determine a goalie's value, you just kind of want to look at how they do it at even strength, because that's going to be the most predictive of what they're going to be able to do next year, because maybe last year, they just happened to have a great year on the penalty kill. But that's the kind of thing that could go up and down every year. But save percentage at even strength is the the thing that's more repeatable. And that's how you could get a sense of how the goalie's been like for the past little while, and then predict the future. I get it. Okay, I'm ready for tier three. Okay, and I said all that because so far, in terms of even strength save percentage over the last three years, I need a little button that says that for me for the rest of the show. We've talked about the top three goalies in Tuka Rask, Carey Price, and Henrik Lundqvist. And then the next goalie on that list that we've talked about is all the way down at number nine, and that's Braden Holtby. So what of goalies five, six, seven, and eight on that list? Well, it's time to talk about them here in tier three. So tier three is 
really good goalies, but like not the best situation or team? Almost. They're good to great goalies who can put up very good individual numbers, who are still in a great situation, but are on a team that might not be able to get them as many wins as a goalie could collect from one of the top two tiers. Okay, I could definitely guess a couple of guys that will be in there, but let's hear it. Well, I'm actually going to go down in descending order of top even strength save percentage. These five, six, seven, eight guys over the last three years are Craig Anderson, Sergei Bobrovsky, Corey Schneider, and Steve Mason. How's that for starters? Definitely very interesting, right? Craig Anderson from the Ottawa Senators is the top of those guys. Like, I would have expected if you would have asked me, I would have said probably Bobrovsky and Schneider have better numbers than Craig Anderson, but... That's really great for him, man. Craig Anderson, an interesting guy in fantasy this year. You know, he's kind of seemed to be a bit injury prone, which is concerning me. And also last year, there was the whole thing with Andrew Hammond taking over even once Anderson came back. That might just be because they had to roll with him because he was doing so well. And maybe you could even say that bit the Senators a bit when it came to the playoffs. But I feel like Anderson's an interesting guy at this point. Like, do you draft him or do you let someone else? Like, he seems like he must be doing pretty good if he has such a high save percentage. And Ottawa should do better or at least as well as he did last year. I don't know. Very interesting, Brian. Yeah, you've got a lot of people who still think Andrew Hammond is going to step in and steal games from Anderson, move into a 1B or even a total number one situation. And I always have to give the disclaimer that I was wrong about Hammond the whole way through the last stretch of last season. But I don't think I'm going to keep being wrong about him. I think we know who he is. I don't have to go into all my reasons again why. I think we've gone over the mad nauseum in the offseason especially. Which makes Craig Anderson maybe a good number two goalie for your fantasy team that you don't have to use a very high pick on because people are very worried about him platooning with Hammond. I think he's going to be just fine. He's the fifth best goalie in the NHL over the last three years. If you're looking at even strength save percentage, his overall save percentage numbers have been fantastic too. He has single-handedly carried that Ottawa team to so many wins. He just didn't get as much attention for it because they weren't all consecutive like Hammonds. And I'm losing my breath because I have so much to say about this. I feel comfortable picking Craig Anderson as a guy who's going to start the amount of games that a number one goalie would while putting up very good individual save percentage numbers. Probably is also going to face a fair share of shots too if Ottawa's defense from last year is any indication of the shots that are going to get through them this year. Yeah, the one thing you haven't addressed though is that the injuries, right? Like last year he only played 35 games. The year before, he played 53 games. He had a decent season in terms of games, but had only a 9.11 save percentage. Then you go to the year before that, and he had a 9.41 save percentage, but only in 24 games. So I don't know if it's maybe an inverse relationship between the number of games he plays and how well he does, but that would be my main concern with him, is just picking a goalie than having him get injured and being stuck with a waiver wire guy for a large part of the season. Elon, that's a good point. If you compare him straight up against Bobrovsky, Schneider, and Mason... He's played anywhere from 400 to 1,100 fewer minutes than they have over the last few years because of those injuries. And that's a keen observation you made about how his save percentage seems to be better in the years where he misses several games. Yeah, he's also 34 years old, so I don't know how long he'll be able to keep it up. But I think he could definitely be a sneaky pick because you're probably going to be able to get him pretty late in your draft and he could end up being the number one goalie on his team putting up great numbers. And that's the kind of guy that you'd expect to have to pay a lot for it if you could get him as a low-risk guy you know actually let me bring this up now we actually did a mock draft with our patrons 
last Tuesday, which was a lot of fun. We just asked on the Facebook group, who wants to join in a mock draft? We got 14 participants. And Craig Anderson was picked all the way in the ninth round at 119 overall. Ryan W. picked him up, and maybe that was a really smart pick. Like, goalies picked above him included Martin Jones, Jake Allen, you know, maybe guys that aren't so assured of being a number one guy. Uh, Also, Cam Talbot, who's maybe number one, we'll get to him. Maybe we could be a bit concerned about how he'll do in Edmonton. So yeah, could be a good sleeper pick, but there is that injury concern. Okay, the other guys you have, the other interesting one is Steve Mason, right? Because Philadelphia is kind of crappy. They seem to be the type of team that lets in a lot of goals. But at the same time, you're saying Steve Mason's done so well. Anyone who's been listening to the show consistently over the last 18 months has witnessed me turning over a new leaf slowly but surely about Steve Mason. And it was punctuated by his fantastic year last year, putting up a 928 save percentage. In 48 starts with Philly, 51 appearances overall. Mind you, like Elon said, the caveat is that he only was able to pick up 18 wins with a 928 save percentage, which is just ridiculous. That should be able to get you more than 18 wins and just speaks to how poor the Flyers were last year. Have they made any significant improvements to take steps towards upping that win total this year? I don't know. I really can't say for sure that they are going to be any better or substantially better this year than last year. So that would be the warning sign with Mason. But I think he's in a pretty good situation as his team's number one goalie. Plus, he can put up great individual numbers even if his team isn't getting him the Ws. Right, I guess the same could be said about the other two guys there. Bobrovsky and Schneider, both known for being great goalies but not on very good teams. Definitely, they're both in amazing situations. They're both going to get a ton of games played, assuming they're healthy. They're going to get you a lot of saves, if that's a category in your league. Right, and actually, we haven't even named the complete tier yet. And I'm going to do that now, because this is the perfect moment. We've talked about Anderson Schneider and Mason, and how they have great individual numbers, but their teams might not be so great. Bobrovsky, let's have no illusions, he would be my first pick of that group. So we have those four guys who have put up great individual numbers. And then there are three other guys whose individual numbers might not be as good, but their team situation is probably good enough to make up for that. And they round out my third tier or maybe are even above those other guys in the third tier. I've got Devin Dubnik, Roberto Luongo, and Semyon Varlamov also in this tier as about equals with the other four I just mentioned. Not that they're all identical goalies in identical situations on identical teams, but the trade-offs between them, you know, depending on what stats you're looking for between wins and saves and save percentage, they could all be considered to have similar value in your fantasy draft. Yeah, actually, I would say those three guys, Varlamov, Luongo, and Dubnik, are all really different. Like, it depends on what you're going for when you draft, how much risk you're willing to take. I think there's something to be said about all of them. Like, if you go to Varlamov, this is a guy who two years ago was pretty much one of the most viable goalies in fantasy. Like, him and Tuka Rask, maybe. In 2013, 2014, he played 63 games. He had 41 wins and 927 save percentage. It was all amazing. Then last year, as everyone predicted, Colorado regressed a lot, weren't as good of a team. And even though he played almost as many games, he had a bit of an injury, but he had 57 games. He had only 28 wins instead of 41 wins. And his save percentage went down a bit. He was 921 instead of 927, but 921 is still really good. And if you think that Colorado is going to be able to turn it around, they have the talent. They have some really great players. 
I think that Varlamov could end up also being a bit of a steal, someone who has fallen maybe a bit too far in people's minds as opposed to reality. Maybe though one caveat there is that he has been a little bit injury prone and has been these groin injuries, which I remember with Dominic Hasek, they would keep him out a really long time and they would keep coming back. That might happen with Varlamov. And last year, if you recall, Calvin Pickard came up when Varlamov was injured and played like just as well as Varlamov did. Like he was amazing. And of course, it's a small sample size. Who knows how he would do if he was the number one goalie for a long time. But it is possible that Varlamov could get injured. Pickard could then come in and do really, really well. And maybe then it would be harder for Varlamov to get his full job back. So I think there's a bit of a concern there with the injuries and a really capable backup, or at least one that seems to be. But if he could stay healthy, I see really good things for Varlamov. Okay, then you brought up Luongo and Dubnik. We have to talk about Dubnik, right? Because he's being ranked very high. Like, I think you have him in your third tier, Brian. That means you're not going to get him in your draft because a lot of people are ranking him as a tier one or tier two goalie. And the reason is because last year he ended the year as basically the most valuable goalie in fantasy, him and Carey Price, I guess. After the All-Star break, he played 35 games, had 25 wins, a 939 save percentage. He just seemed to play every game. There was that stretch where he just kept winning, and, and Minnesota just kept winning with Dubnik. And I guess I have to ask you, you have him kind of low here. He's signed now with Minnesota. He's the clear number one. What's the reason why you don't have him in a higher tier? Is it him as a goalie? Is it his team? Is it his situation? What is it? You know what? It's a bit of both. I'm just not as comfortable with his numbers or his team as I am with the guys in tier number two. And hey, Minnesota did win 46 games last year, and they do seem to be moving in the right direction. And Dubnik has been a favorite of mine for a few years now. But I just think both situations are just tenuous enough to keep him out of that second tier. He is a guy who could easily make the jump and who could conceivably have comparable numbers to any of the guys in tier two in terms of both wins and save percentage. Maybe he's the guy, maybe along with Bobrovsky, that could be closest to the guys in tier two. But I still think that that run last year with Minnesota was just a touch unreal and I'd like to see what happens when he comes back down to earth. Not saying that he's going to come crashing down to earth, but just see where he levels out as a goalie for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, that's fair. And then, of course, Roberto Luongo is just the kind of guy, you know he's going to get a lot of starts, he's going to put up solid numbers, but how many wins is Florida going to give you? I understand why you have him in Tier 3. Okay, Brian, you want to hear where I maybe differ slightly? I do. Let's fight about it. Okay, so first of all, just some general draft strategy that I have, at least, going into this season. I feel like last year, we were really like, you want to get one of Rask or Lungfist, and then maybe Price. And we were really high on these guys and saying, if you could get one of these guys, you're going to be so much better off than everyone else. And I'm not sure if that ended up being the case, right? Guys like Holtby and Rene and Dubnik, you know, they ended up being, you know, just as valuable, just as good to have. And of course, maybe Price was on a tier all by himself last year. But all of that to say... I feel like I wouldn't be so concerned about having a number of goalies as my number one goal. I think it's so hard to predict which one is going to end up standing out that I just want to have one of these guys that I'm about to mention. And so, okay, I have for my tier one, I have five goalies there. You only had three. You had Lungfist, Price, and Holtby. I'm going to also throw in Tuka Rask and Pekarine. If I could get any one of those five goalies, I'll be really happy. Like, I'll feel like I drafted a guy who gives me a good chance of having one of the most valuable goalies in fantasy next season. It's a guy who I'll be able to rely on, and I'm not going to use a pick in the first round to get Carey Price when I know I can get Lunkvist, Rask, Holtby, or Rene in the second or third rounds. 
that's my opinion. Some people are going to go and draft price really, really high, and it'll be interesting to see if it turns out being worth it. I think price will be really good. I think I already said this. I'm probably doing deja vu, but that's my top tier. So I'm throwing in Rask and Rene, and maybe also considering that we have our specific league categories and saves being a category. Like saves is a category and wins is a category. They're equal. And then save percentages is the other one there. So as long as I have a guy who I know is going to give me a good save percentage, I'm just as happy getting a guy who's going to give me a lot of saves like Tuka Rask. Maybe he won't get as many wins, but he's going to get lots of saves. So that's really valuable to me. You know, I'm not going to fight about that one. That's a totally reasonable justification for Rask to get him over that hump into tier one. You know, I'm not far from doing it myself and it pains me not to actually do it, but you did mention earlier in the show that he stopped or faced the second most amount of shots in the league last year, and he'll probably get the opportunity to do that again. So, all right, I'm with you there. Rene, you know where I stand. I still don't think he's a tier one goalie. Yeah, I guess actually I should say that what you've said about Rene in this episode has kind of convinced me. He's at the bottom of my first tier. Now I'm starting to think maybe I would want to have one of my second tier guys above him. You know what? Okay, I'm changing it right now. I'm taking Rene out of my top tier. It's true. He's cutting and pasting on the Google Doc that we're using. I can see it. This is history in the making. Brian changes Elon's mind. There it is. Okay, well, we'll see what happens on draft day. But okay, now into my second tier. And I'm going to say back to just draft strategy. I think I might be tempted to just not take a goalie in my top tier at all. Maybe I would rather have two guys from my second tier then like a top tier guy and then, you know, like a tier three guy, which I think is some people's strategies. Like if you're taking Carey Price in round one or like Lungfist in round two, you're probably not planning on taking another goalie until a few times down because you need to start picking up some offense. You've missed out on the Phil Kessels and the Vladimir Tarasenko's or whoever you skipped over in order to get that elite, elite goalie. I think I'd be very happy to have any of these guys in tier two. And if I could get two of them, I think I'd rather have them over a tier one guy and a tier three guy. Okay, and here's who I have. Dubnik, Fleury, Bishop, Bobrovsky, Quick, Varlamov, and now Rene. That would be my second tier. And I think all of those guys are people who are going to definitely be the starter on their team, are going to have a good chance of winning every single time they play. Maybe Varlamov, not so, so much. But I do think that Colorado should be able to bounce back. And they're going to give me lots of saves. And they're going to have decent save percentages. So I would say I really like those guys as my second tier. You didn't have... Bobrovsky or Varlamov in your second tier or Dubnik actually but I think that those guys are worthy of being a tier higher I think Dubnik's a guy why wouldn't I want to have him in fantasy like even if he can't do as well as he did at the end of last year I think Minnesota's a good team I think he's the for sure for sure number one and that has a lot of value for me yeah and I'll say again he could conceivably put up numbers it's not a far stretch to think that he'll put up numbers that are comparable to guys in tier two I just want to see a little bit more from him first. Maybe that's unreasonable for me. Maybe that means I'm going to be left behind eating someone's dust who did pick up Dubnik. But I suppose it's a risk to take him and it's a risk to leave him. And I will choose the risk to leave him. Right. Yeah, this is definitely a show me year for Dubnik. Like last year, he had that amazing breakout. And now we'll see if he can sustain and earn his spot in a second or first tier goalie ranking going into the following season. That'll be a really fun storyline to follow as the year progresses. I mean, one of the factors for me is that like Minnesota got to 46 wins, which is fantastic, but they did it on the back of that amazing run by Dubnik. So teasing those two apart and seeing, well, can Minnesota put up that many wins if Dubnik doesn't do so well? Or if Dubnik can do that all over again and they do get as many wins, that's what I'm really waiting to see this year. And I guess a counterpoint to that could be that how many wins 
did they lose just because of how badly their other two goalies did? Like Nicholas Backstrom and... Darcy Kemper. You actually had to pause to remember his name. That is how bad his season was. How much we willed ourselves to forget his season from last year. Yeah, like I remember there were lots of games where I actually had Kemper, so it was really ridiculous that I forgot his name just now. But I had Kemper, and I remember there were games where Minnesota was winning, and I felt confident, all right, I got the win for tonight, and then he just totally fell apart, cost me my save percentage and the win. So I think that maybe things even out. Maybe Dubnik won them a few more games than they should have won, but maybe those other goalies lost them a couple of games that they should have won. Very fair point. Okay, then in my third tier, I guess it's some of the guys that you'd mentioned. And I have a few new people that you haven't mentioned yet, but I would say Frederick Anderson, who you had in your second tier. I have him down on my third tier. I explained why. Same reason for Corey Crawford. Just I get too scared about their backups. And I think for my top goalie, and you know, I'd like, as I said, to have the top goalie I draft be in one of these top two tiers. I want it to be someone I could for sure depend on. And you make a good argument as to why Anderson maybe should be depended on. And maybe I'm being a bit silly about Crawford, but I just kind of worry about Darling. Maybe it's not rational. So that's why they go to tier three for me. I'd love to have them as my second goalie if I could get it. I'm sure it's not going to happen because they're going to be drafted well before. Then I have Luongo for the same reasons as before. I've got Schneider there just because I don't think he'll get many wins. He will be awesome for saves and hopefully decent in save percentage. Mason, we agreed there. Then let me throw in three other goalies who I have in my third tier. Martin Jones, who I think might be a nice sleeper pick. Like He's going to be the number one goalie there in San Jose unless you think that Alex Stalock can take the job. And I feel like if people were worried about Alex Stalock taking the job, he would have done it last year. Like, if he couldn't take it last year, what's to make you think he'll be able to take it this year? He had a great opportunity with Niemi being an unrestricted free agent. And San Jose, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they're still a pretty good team. And I think Martin Jones would be an awesome second goalie to have. I'd be very happy to have him. Well, Elon, before you go any further, you'd be really happy with Martin Jones as your number two goaltender, somebody who posted a 9.06 save percentage in... 15 appearances last season. You'd be happy with that? Okay, Brian, thank you for that sobering interjection. Maybe I'm getting a little crazy. Why am I uh, giving advice on players before you are? Fine. Okay, Martin Jones last year, when you take a look, had a 906 save percentage in 15 games. The year before that, he had a 934 save percentage in 19 games. I think that probably you could say that we just don't know yet what kind of goalie he is, but I just am intrigued by the fact that San Jose considers him a number one goalie and You know, if you're in a 14-team league, the Keeping Carlson League is a 14-team league, which means that once everyone has two goalies, that's basically all the starters in the league, except for, you know, a couple of the worst ones. And there's a lot of teams that have 1A, 1B situations and unclear situations. I think Martin Jones at least seems like he should be the number one guy in San Jose, and I think they're a decent team. So that's why I think I would take him as a number two goalie. Maybe it's a little crazy to say I'll be so happy to have him there, but assuming I was able to get a lot of good offense and defense players and also have a really great number one goalie and then have Martin Jones as my number two goalie, I don't think it's that bad. Okay, so if you build the perfect team and then have Martin Jones as your second goalie, you're really happy with that. I got it. Okay, you're being glib. What I mean to say is Martin Jones is a guy I could take really late. I could let everyone else take their second goalies and then still get Martin Jones. That means I've been drafting better forwards and defensemen. Okay, yeah, yeah. I see I see where you're coming from. I would look at him as a low-end number two option or a number three option. I feel like in our league, like with 14 teams, 
most teams are going to end up with two to three goalies, which means as many as 42 goalies are going to be gone. So in that context, is Martin Jones like the 42nd best goalie going into this fantasy season? No, he's probably above that, but I would not be really excited to throw him into my number two spot. Although, and I'll get to him later in my tiers, he is in a decent situation in San Jose if he can show up and be an average NHL goalie. Okay, now I'm afraid to round out my (laughs) tier three because I think you're going to get mad at me again. But I also have Jonas Hiller in there. And now that I see that I put him there, I'm not even sure why I did because he is kind of in a scary situation with Kerry Ramo in Calgary. So maybe actually I'm going to bump him out and put him in tier four. And then Yaroslav Halak, I think he should be in tier three, right? Like you don't even have him there. Islanders are a really good team. Maybe his situation isn't 100% solid, but I think it's pretty decent. It's pretty probable that Halak will be the number one guy and Grice will be number two. Maybe his save percentage isn't that that great, but he'll probably make up for that in wins and saves. Well, you're starting to touch on some of the guys that I do have in my fourth tier. So should we resume that? Okay, how about Brian? I do want to do that. This has been a wild episode. We're just naming a lot of names. This isn't really the typical Keeping Carlson where we we do a deep dive on an individual player. We're just like throwing out names here. Let us know, by the way, on Twitter if you are enjoying this Schmore Goalies Borg at Keeping Carlson. And before we continue on to your fourth tier, I want to take a moment to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for supporting the show. We mentioned at the top of the show about how we have our Fantasy League deadline approaching. And if you want to be a part of it, you've got to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Right now, I just want to... Once again, mention the patrons and thank the people who have signed up. I actually haven't been thanking patrons all over the summer. And we've gotten a lot of new, awesome patrons over the summer. People who have really transformed our Facebook group into, like, the place to be. Like, there's always interesting discussions on there. I'd say being part of the Facebook group, that's just as key a benefit of being a patron as joining our league. And so I want to thank. Here we go. And this is, like, going all the way back to July because I have missed doing this. So... Cole, Kim, Brandon, Jake, Eric, Gabriel, Joe, John, Tommy, Robert, Istvan, Sandy, Bill, and Anastasia. Thanks so much to all of you for your patrons. These are the people who gave me permission to name them on the show. I've got to say, in that group of names, not one repeat. What a diverse group of patrons we have. Yeah, I love the patrons. You know, just the fact that we were able to do this mock draft, that was so fun. By the way, we did that on Spreecast, which was great. And Spreecast is what we've been using for that mock draft. And we did it for our last patron cast. And we're going to have a patron cast coming up soon at the end of September where we could talk about our drafts. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's a podcast just for the patrons where we go on Spreecast and everyone could ask us questions. So there's a lot of fun benefits to being a patron. That's the last I'll say about it. Go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Join our league. Join our league. Get in the cup full. Get in the cup full. If you don't know anything about our league, go back a couple of episodes where we talked about designing a fantasy hockey league and we explained everything. There's going to be a ladder system. There's some keepers coming in at the start of season two. There's promotion delegation. It's going to be an intense, awesome league to help determine who is the smartest patron of them all. It's probably going to be me, but we'll see. Brian, let's talk about your fourth tier of goalies. And actually, before you do that, what do you think about my draft strategy? What do you think about, do you want to get a top tier guy or would you rather just get a couple of second and third tier guys? You know, this is one of the things that comes out during the draft. You can't totally prepare your strategy going in because you have to see how things are rolling. If the top three guys are taken in the first round, then your mind is made up for you. Me, personally, I don't know if I'm rushing to get one of those top three guys. Last year, I did reach, and in my auction draft, paid, I think, the second highest amount for all players in the draft for Tuka Rask, which worked out towards the end of the year, but I had some trouble at the start of the year when he and the Bruins were struggling. I think I'd probably be happy with a goalie from either of my top two tiers 
to be my number one fantasy goalie going into the season. I guess it also depends on how your forward and defense tiers are going. Like if it comes time for a pick and you still have a number of your top two tier guys left and only one or two people in a forward or defenseman tier, then maybe you got to go for the forward because you're going to have to take a big jump with your next forward if you take a goalie. So much to consider. Drafting is very interesting. And if you want to hear more about our draft strategies, you can go back and listen to our episode How to Draft Well from last preseason series back in 2014. All the info there is still pretty pertinent, and we'll be happy to answer any questions you have about the podcast. But Elon, you have teased this number four tier like three times, and I'm not going to let you stop me from getting to it. Go for it. Okay, so there definitely are some names that you're probably wondering, what, like none of those guys fit in your top three tiers, even though they're like you know, decent options to be your number one fantasy goalie. And I just want to say, like, from tier four and onwards, that's where context is really coming into play. And you're going to be trading off any one of playing time, proven track record, or team strength for one another. All those factors are sort of in flux. You can pick one or two, but you can't get all three with any of these guys in tier four. And in Tier 4, actually, you're going to have guys who have a better situation, but poorer numbers. So they're going to be more likely to see playing time than the guys in Tier 5, who I'll get to afterwards. But the guys in Tier 5 might actually be better goalies, so they might have better individual numbers. But you'd be gambling on them getting more playing time. So let's get started with Tier 4. You might have noticed, Elon, you brought up Yaroslav Halak. I haven't mentioned a goalie from the Islanders. The Red Wings, the Oilers, the Flames, the Canucks, several of these teams made the playoffs last year. You'd probably want a goalie from one of those teams, but these guys are in tenuous enough situations or unproven enough that I have them down here in Tier 4. Okay, so let's start about Halak, because I brought him up before. Why do you have him so low? Do you think that Thomas Grice will be able to challenge for that number one spot? Well, Grice has like long been waiting in the wings in several different situations. In San Jose, he had Nabokov in front of him and then didn't beat out Niemi to get that top job. In Arizona, he was behind Mike Smith, who he thought he could take over. He didn't do that. And then last year, he's behind Marc-Andre Fleury, who we thought maybe he'd take some time from. He only started 18 games and put up a 908 save percentage at that. So here we are again. He's in Long Island now. He's behind a goalie who seems maybe a touch right for the picking in Yaroslav Halak. And there is an opportunity knocking here for him, which is why I am a little concerned about Halak's status going into the next NHL season. Yeah, he picked up 38 wins last season, which is fantastic. But he did it while putting up a 914 save percentage, which tells me that most average goalies could have done that. And if you look at Grice, I mean, he has a much smaller body of work than Halak over the last few years, but his even strength save percentage for what it's worth, small sample size, you can't put a ton of stock into it, but it's 929 compared to Halak's 921. Now, I do still think Halak is a guy that you can trust to be your number one goalie on the ice for sure. I just wonder how many games he's going to cede to Grice by the end of season's end. If you remember at the start of last year, Chad Johnson was challenging Halak for the job and getting several runs of starts in a row. And like, I was out of my mind about that because I'm pretty high on Halak. He had a 9.30 two years ago. 
And then all of a sudden, Chad Johnson comes in, career backup, and is stealing starts. If that could happen to Halak last year, I feel like it could happen to Halak this year. And the difference between Chad Johnson and Thomas Grice is that Grice is a better goaltender. So if he can get a foot in the door, maybe he can wedge it even more open than Johnson could have. Okay, so that's why Halak's all the way down in Tier 4. I think that's fair. And then you mentioned some other of these playoff teams, and Detroit is a big one. I remember in our mock draft, you were saying how you were so surprised that Jimmy Howard hadn't been taken yet, and that's why I see you have Howard in your fourth tier here. How confident are you that Howard is going to be the starting goalie in Detroit? I think of all of the guys that you're going to talk about in tier four, he's the one in the most tenuous situation. I think that Peter Morazic was clearly the better goalie last year, and I'm not sure if Howard's going to be the starter. So yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. Jimmy Howard has turned in two very subpar seasons. He started 50 games both years, had a 9-10 save percentage, and only four shutouts combined from those two seasons. But in my mind, and maybe this is just me being stubborn, it's too soon to give up on him. He had some really good years before then. He was being talked about amongst the league leaders and even strength save percentage and among the best goaltenders of the future, especially after how he came up in the AHL too. He's been heralded for a while. So I'm not ready to give up on him just yet, though he does now have Peter Morazic nipping at his heels. Now, Morazic did not do anything special last year. It might have just seemed like it in comparison to what Howard was doing. Morazic had a 918 save percentage in 29 appearances and was able to get a couple more starts than I think he was slated for at the start of the year. But I still think going into camp and going into the first days of the season, that job is Jimmy Howard's to lose in Detroit. I would normally have him definitely up a tier or two tiers. I think he might be one of the goalies that's actually fallen the most in our rankings just because there is this nervousness that there is a legitimate challenger behind him in Detroit. I still think he starts the lion's share of the games if he can just hang on, but the first two months of the season will be very telling, and you are taking a risk if you're going to put a lot of stock in him starting a lot of games for your fantasy team. Yeah, I guess I'd be concerned about both Howard and Morazic. Like, Detroit should be a pretty good team. They have all these young players that are getting better. Now they picked up Mike Green. I like Detroit's prospects overall, but I'm scared to have Howard or Morazic, at least as, you know, one of my number one goalies. Maybe you could have him down as, like, your number three goalie. Either of those guys are probably pretty decent. I think have an equal chance at this point. I don't know. I'm not convinced, but I think either of them could end up being the starter, which makes it a bit of a dice roll. I guess you could always go with the strategy of just getting both of them, and they would take up two goalie slots, but you'd be guaranteed to be getting every game from Detroit. It's actually not my favorite strategy to go with handcuffs, just because why not go for two goalies that could both potentially be starters, especially in a league that counts wins and saves, both counting things where you need as many starts as possible. Why limit yourself to guaranteed only one of them playing on a night when you could potentially have two of them playing a night? But I know a lot of people really like going for the handcuff, and if I was going to do it on any team, I feel like Detroit would be one of them, just because they're a decent team, and they just have such a uncertain goalie situation. And I guess there's also Dallas, which is in a very similar situation with Niemi and Letton, and I have no way of knowing who's going to be the starter there. Yeah, and actually, neither of those guys made it into this tier, so let me round it out for you. And as you might have noticed, there's a bit of a theme here. These guys are number ones for now, or they're de facto number ones, like number ones in name only because there are no other options. Sort of like Kim Talbot in Edmonton is in this tier. Jonas Hiller is a number one for now. I feel like the Flames want him to be pushed. They want someone else in there for some reason. I don't know why. Hiller is a perfectly serviceable goalie. 
but they're not going to let him sit comfortably in that number one position for the course of an entire season if last year was any indication. Ryan Miller is number one for now, kind of a de facto number one. You've got Jacob Markstrom, who could make a push at Miller, but you know you might argue that there's going to be some more development and more time before that happens for Markstrom. And then you've got three guys who are the number one goalies on teams that we're just not sure how many wins we can expect from this year. And those are Robin Lehner, Mike Smith, and Jonathan Bernier. So these are like probably the last three guys that you can count on to see a healthy amount of starts, like say as many starts as you'd want from your number one fantasy goalie, but they won't be able to get the W's or maybe even the individual numbers to match. And it's interesting because the guy on the team who could get the most wins out of that group, and that's Robin Lehner on Buffalo, is the guy that I'm most worried about in terms of what he'll be capable of in his first year as a full-fledged number one NHL goaltender. The last couple years have not treated him too kindly. He's had some injury problems. I wouldn't want to rely on him too much and wouldn't want to get really won over by the fact that there's really no challenger there aside from Chad Johnson, who we just finished talking about. But his individual numbers, I don't have a ton of faith in. He's going to have to show me something first, even though he does have the pedigree of a blue chip NHL goaltending prospect. It's been a while since he showed consistent flashes of brilliance that earned him that sort of status. Yeah, and we've talked about Buffalo so much during our summer series. And, you know, our conclusion has kind of been we really don't know what this team is going to be. So much has changed over the summer that it's hard to say, like, maybe they won't be one of the worst teams in the league. Like, maybe they'll be decent. And I think a lot of that will depend on how Leonard does as their goalie. So he could make for one of those goalie picks. It's almost the kind of guy I wish I could sort of just pick just so that I could have the option of having him at some point if Buffalo shows me something. Like, I think that he's such a big question mark. Actually, Brian, who do you think is a bigger question mark? Who would you rather have between Cam Talbot and Robin Leonard? Because we're talking about two guys who have never been starting goalies in the league, playing on teams that were, like, dreadful last year, but also teams that have made a lot of improvements over the summer. Like, now Edmonton has Connor McDavid. And Cam Talbot, by the way, did put up some great numbers when Lungfist was injured, or at least was able to get some wins. And then you have Leonard, you know, and on Buffalo, we've already talked about it. Evander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, Jack Eichel. Like, you know, so much could potentially be better in Buffalo. So yeah, who do you think, Talbot or Leonard? Who would you rather have? I would definitely take Cam Talbot. Over the last two seasons, they've each played about 60 games, mind you, for very different teams. Leonard's had to play for a defensively deficient team in Ottawa, while Talbot has been playing for kind of the opposite in New York, who have been a really steady-as-a-rock kind of squad. But Talbot's numbers over those 60 games are 931 save percentage with eight shutouts versus Laner, who has a 914 save percentage with two shutouts. Now, again, I think their teams influence those numbers a lot, but I'd still be more comfortable with Talbot because I think Edmonton is probably a little more complete of a team going into this next season than Buffalo is. So I like Talbot because he does seem to be at least a little bit more proven in the NHL. And I think his team is of a higher quality than Leonard by a fair amount. So I'm going to go with Talbot for sure. Okay, yeah, hard to argue with that logic. I guess it's also just the kind of thing where it's really hard to predict. Like you said, Ottawa wasn't really great when Leonard was playing for them, as opposed to the Rangers. I think either of them are very interesting options 
Definitely not guys you want to have as your number one goalie in fantasy, but potentially number two. And I think either of them would be interesting to have as your number three guy. If you could get that, that would mean you have pretty solid goaltending. If you have Talbot or Leonard as your number three, that means you must have guys in higher tiers as your one and two. I think guys like Mike Smith and Jonathan Bernier are interesting just because there's really no upside in terms of wins. Like no one thinks that Arizona or Toronto has any chance of getting wins. But you know, Mike Smith was really brutal last year. Like he cost people so many matchups at the start of the year. And then he sort of leveled out. He was like decent in the second half of the year. Maybe once Dubnik was gone, that took the pressure off him or something. But he had an 887 save percentage before the All-Star break and then a 920 save percentage after the All-Star break. Seven wins in both stretches, mind you. So the better save percentage didn't help because Arizona doesn't score goals. Yeah, that's a funny little quirk and one that you would expect for a goalie playing in Arizona. It doesn't matter how well they do because the team in front of them just can't pull it together. But back to my list of goalies who had the most saves last year, Mike Smith was number five. So he could be an elite goalie in at least one goalie stat and has the potential to help you in save percentage. It depends if it's going to be the pre-All-Star break or post-All-Star break. Mike Smith, at least in the Keeping Carlson League, I think he is somewhat valuable. And then you have Jonathan Bernier, who, I don't know, what can you say? He had a crappy save percentage last year, but he had a really great pedigree going into the year. I don't think I want him. And also, James Reimer is pretty decent, I guess. So it's not as sure of a number one position as Mike Smith has over in Arizona. Yeah, so these are the guys in tier four who you draft if you're worried about making minimum starts with the goalies you've already drafted. They're the guys who are going to give you some guaranteed playing time and not a whole lot else potentially. All right, so then let's go to your tier five, which I'm guessing is going to be some of these guys in these tandems where you're not sure if they're going to be a number one guy or not. Yeah, a lot of these guys are better than the goalies in the tier above them, but we're just waiting to see where the chips fall before investing heavily in them. So I've got guys like Brian Elliott and Jake Allen who are in a 1A, 1B situation once again. Not sure who's going to come out on top, but hey, I might feel more comfortable taking a gamble on one of these guys then reaching out and grabbing Mike Smith instead if I feel like I'm going to get enough starts out of the other goalies that I've already drafted. So what do you think about Elliot and Allen? Who do you think is going to take the number one job in St. Louis? Or do you think it's just going to be half and half? Last year, Elon, we were so sure that it would be Jake Allen's by the end of the year, and he just had a super frustrating year, putting up a 9.13 save percentage by the end of it. And it wouldn't have taken a really sterling performance to outplay Brian Elliott either, who just turned in a 9.17 save percentage. So I'm going to say again this year that I think Jake Allen is going to at least be given the opportunity to beat out Brian Elliott for that 1A spot. I don't know if it's going to become a full-blown number one spot by season's end, but I do think he's going to be given the chance to pass Elliott on the depth chart and get a few more games in than he did last year. And if last year when Brian Elliott got injured, they brought in Martin Brodeur, who's going to be the old-timey goalie that they're going to bring in this year if the same thing happens? <laughs> Martin Bira. Okay. You heard it here first. Okay, then aside from those guys, I am assuming also the Dallas guys are going to be in this tier as well? Yeah, I've got both Antti Niemi and Kerry Lettinen in this tier. My gut tells me that Niemi starts the year as number one, gets some time in, 
and then Letnin might eventually push him out. I have a little more faith in Niemi to at least maintain a decent save percentage than I do in Letnin after Letnin just blew so much opportunity last year. The Stars didn't even have a backup goalie on their squad. That's how much confidence they had in him, and it came back to burn them. They won't be making that same mistake this year with both those guys on their roster. If I had to pick between the two, I think I'd take Niemi. Who would you take, though? Well, before I tell you who I would take, here's a fun thing. Remember last episode when you were saying that you think Zdeno Chara may be the player who's fallen the most in fantasy rankings between last year and this year? I do remember. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you that there's a guy who fell even more, at least when I'm looking at this NHL.com list from last year and this year. Kari Letnin was number 56 last year. And if you recall, there was a lot of high hopes, right? Dallas had picked up Spezza and Hemsky, and everyone thought they were going to be a real challenger, and Letnin was going to benefit. He was 56. Then after that garbage year that he had, where he had a horrible save percentage, Dallas was bad, and now they have another capable starting goalie to challenge him, Letnin has fallen all the way to 170. So that's over an 100-spot drop. And that's even more than uh, Zdeno Chera. So he might be the farthest drop. Listeners, let us know if you could find a player who fell even further than that. Yeah, there was so much excitement around Letnin and the Dallas Stars last year. And both failed to deliver. You know, there might have been a correlation there in terms of Dallas not supporting Letnin enough and Letnin not supporting Dallas enough. And we ended up just in a huge puddle of disappointment with both those entities. This year, I don't think that's going to happen with some reinforcements in net and up front in Dallas. I think the situation is going to be better for everybody this year. And rounding out the rest of that fifth tier... I've got Eddie Lack in there, somebody who I think can push for that Carolina starting job. Mind you, last year we talked about Jake Allen and Anton Kudobin pushing for the jobs in their respective cities, and Kudobin was doing it in Carolina. They both didn't do it, so there's a little bit of once bitten, twice shy going on here, but I have faith in Eddie Lack's ability to take control this year of his own destiny and work his way up the depth chart and past Cam Ward by the end of this season. Has there been any word from Carolina on who's the starter going into the season? Like, are we assuming it's Cam Ward at least to start? It's his job to lose? I'm assuming it's Cam Ward's job to lose, but I'm also assuming that, in a sense, he's already lost it from years of subpar play since that glorious cup win that's like 10 years ago now. We can't rest on our laurels forever. Neither can Cam Ward, so I think Eddie Lack is ripe for a starting job, and this is a situation where eventually, in the near future, hopefully, he can work his way into one. And then the other guy I mentioned was Martin Jones. I guess we already talked about him a little bit. Decent situation in San Jose. We're not sure if they're going up or down exactly in San Jose, but I think he is going to be the guy who's given the reins to start the season. They tried to give them the Stalock last year. He couldn't handle it, which led them to have to go out and bring in Jones this year to try and take the reins. We'll see how well he can do. I have faith that he's probably, you know, an average NHL goaltender, but I wouldn't want to bet too heavily on him. Not just yet. Yeah, when I look at this tier of yours, it makes me also unsure about maybe I was too high on Jones because I don't know now if I'm thinking about do like well who would you want more between like a Jake Allen and Martin Jones you know like I think St. Louis is a better team and I think Jake Allen is a better goalie maybe that's kind of silly to say I don't know it's tough between those two it is tough between those two and I think that decision will be made during your draft to say hey do I need Martin Jones a guy who's probably going to play more games than Allen 
or do I have the chance here to take Jake Allen and be safe if he doesn't play more than, say, 30 or 40 games over the course of the season? And finally, the last last name in Tier 5 is Michael Hutchinson, everybody's favorite free agent pickup (laughs) during the fall winter of last year. I think he's got the number one job just waiting for him in Winnipeg this year. Even though they still tended towards Pavlik right down to the bitter end, they were still giving him starts and hoping he'd come through. I think now it's Hutchinson's time. Now, it might only be short term. If you're in a keeper league, don't look too far ahead with Hutchinson because down in the jet system is a fellow by the name of Connor Helleboik. I'm just guessing on that pronunciation at the moment, but he is being heralded as one of the next big goalie prospects to enter the NHL. And we all know Winnipeg could use a good goalie prospect to step in. If you're looking for Hutchinson to do what he did during the first half of last year all over again, I wouldn't count on it. I'm going to say expect average NHL numbers from him. But if he does get a lot of starts, the Jets are going to be a good team next year. So in that sense, he could be a good guy for you to have. Brian, I think I'm going to disagree with you here. I think that you are overly excited about Hutchinson taking over the number one job from Pavlik. Like, Pavlik actually had a decent season last season. Like, he had a 920 save percentage once all was said and done. A really strong end to the year. He's 28 years old. Like, I know that we've talked about a lot how people keep on thinking he's a number one goalie and he's really not. But at the same time, if Winnipeg is going to be better, I think that there's just as much of a chance, if not maybe even a little bit more of a chance, that Pavlik is going to be the number one guy and not Hutchinson. Especially if you're saying that Hutchinson is in a tier above Pavlik, because you haven't mentioned Pavlik in this tier, then for sure I think you're off. I think at the least Pavlik and Hutchinson should be in this tier together. And I think I'd actually draft Pavlik over Hutchinson just because I just get the sense that that's what the Jets are going to do. You know, I'm tired of waiting on Pavlik to be anything more than who he is, which to date is a 908 career goalie. Well, but what about last season? His 920, was he lucky? Like, how did he have such great numbers last year and still lose the job to Hutchinson? It's actually kind of crazy. I didn't expect that his number would be so high for last year. Well, because he did the bulk of that work that got him to 920, Over the last, like, 12, 14 games of the season, in March and April, he went on a crazy run. It was fantastic. He also let in some terrible goals. There's this one super deflating goal that he let in from halfway down the ice. I just don't have confidence in him. I don't think the Jets do deep down either. Yeah, he had a 920 last year. 908. Again, like how many times do I need to repeat? That is his career number. And if you look at his even strength save percentage over the last three years, out of 31 goalies who have seen regular minutes, he is ranked 29th above only Ben Scrivens and Cam Ward. Is that enough for you? Um, No, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I just also still think that Pavlik's going to be the starter next year for the Jets. Okay, fine. We'll see what happens out of camp. Definitely something worth watching. And since you're talking about Pavlik, I'm going to go to my tier number six, which features tandem bottom slash second fiddles. These are guys that if you need minutes, they could get some, but they won't have great numbers. And they also might not get very many if they are sort of pushed back on the depth chart by the guy at the top of the tandem. And Pavlik, to me, is in that group, along with Kerry Ramo in Calgary, Alex Stalock in San Jose, and Cam Ward in Carolina. The interesting part is that you might think Ward and Pavlik have the jobs out of camp. I'm looking further ahead than that. I think by season's end, they'll have fewer minutes played by their counterparts if all goes according to plan. 
But tier seven is where things get a little bit exciting. These are high upside challengers. I feel like these are the guys that you want to be looking at as good number three guys for your fantasy team. If you feel safe and secure with two goalies that you've already drafted and want to have another goalie on your bench who could rise way above their value at the time of the draft, these are the guys that you might be interested in. And we've covered a lot of them already. Vasilevsky in Tampa has a chance to push Bishop. We've got Grice on Long Island. Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver. James Reimer in Toronto. And one guy whose name has yet to come up on this episode, Michael Neuverth in Philadelphia. I feel like he is capable of handling a number one job or at least a 1B position. And if Mason does falter, and Lord knows he has several times over the course of his career... I think Neuverth could come in and steal some starts. Mind you, it's on a pretty bad team, and Neuverth is not a world beater in terms of his save percentage numbers. However, he could be a guy that could at some point during the year provide some value to your fantasy team. Yeah, I guess Mason also was injured a lot last season. I remember we kept on talking about when Mason would get injured, and we'd say, oh, is it time to pick up Emery? And then we'd end up saying, nah, don't do it. He sucks. He's not going to do well. But maybe Neuverth is someone who can do better than Emery did. So he's definitely a guy, if you don't draft him, and if he doesn't get drafted at all, keep him on your watch list because maybe Mason will get injured again and you'll want to grab him and see how he could do as the backup on Philadelphia. Yeah, good point. Last year when Mason got injured, it was like Emery, Zepp, and I think there was one other name that I'm not even going to bother to look up at the moment. This year, that changes in Philadelphia. And that leaves the bottom tier... And if we haven't mentioned a goaltender's name by now, this is the tier that they're in. Tier number eight. These are guys who you just shouldn't draft. They should definitely be available, even in deep leagues, on your free agency list after the draft. You might not want to waste a pick on them. Try and pick maybe a forward or a defenseman with higher upside rather than these guys. Unless you're desperate for a handcuff, probably leave these guys off your draft day roster. This tier is headed by three guys who are capable of challenging for the starting job, but likely won't get the chance, and that's Scott Darling in Chicago, then Anton Kudobin and John Gibson in Anaheim, and Jonas Enroth in LA. So they sort of headline this group, but the rest I really would not even give second thought to. Guys like Lindback, Scrivens, Chad Johnson, Tukarski, Hutton, Grubauer, Peter, Zatkoff, McElhenney, Subban, Montoya, Kincaid, Backstrom, Kemper, Berra, and Ortio. All of these guys are either their team's number three goalies or way behind the number one goalie on their team. And you can probably pick them up if and when an injury happens during the course of the season without having to call dibs on them on draft day. Yeah, I think that that basically covers it. I wouldn't want to have most of those guys. Okay, so the couple things, a couple notes I'm going to make. First of all, I think Andrew Hammond will be drafted in a lot of leagues, and you've made it very clear that you don't think that he should be. But so keep in mind, he's going to probably be drafted, but I agree with you that I wouldn't take him. I think that Anderson's the clear, better goalie. Also, I would say that Scott Darling, of all the guys, he's the one I'm the most excited about. Like, I don't know if I would draft him, but I don't know, his numbers were so good, right? A 936 safe percentage last year. Hard to ignore, especially when Crawford has never been so amazing. But we've already talked about that at the beginning of the show. And also, Brian, I think you missed a guy, which is fair. You did, like, two days worth of research and you built this big spreadsheet of all the on-ice save percentage and a bunch of other things. So, fair enough. But you missed Mrazek, who we talked about earlier. You didn't put him in any of your tiers. I think Mrazek should be in the same tier as Howard. I think I already said that. <laughs> oh, shoot. You're right. Okay. 
Um, Mrazik, Mrazik. Last year, you know what? I think we forgot Jimmy Howard. So it only makes sense that Peter Mrazik carries the torch as the guy we forgot. You're putting me on the spot here. I don't know. I feel like maybe I'd put him in tier five, which is filled with guys who are going to top their tandems. I feel like maybe he's in a similar situation to Kerry Lettinen, who's also in tier five. So I'll settle him down there. The guy I thought you were going to say was Calvin Pickard in Colorado, whose name I didn't mention, and Andrew Hammond, but you already covered that. I also would include him in my bottom tier, except he's a guy you can have your trigger finger on, especially if you're a Varlamov owner and he goes down, you want the fastest possible route to adding him to your team. So make sure to have him on your watch list at the very least, because if he does get time, he could do something decent with it. And actually, since you mentioned how, like, you know, if Varlamov gets injured, you need to have your finger on Pickard to grab him as fast as possible. That actually won't be a situation in our Keeping Carlson League, because we've decided to go with ESPN, and we've decided to use their FAAB, the Free Agency Acquisition Budget. That's what we're going to be doing for our league. So every night or every day, we have to pick the time. There's going to be an auction to pick up any free agents. So it's really interesting, actually. If you go to ESPN and read about FAAB, just search for it. It's an interesting system, and we're going to try that for the league. So everyone will have an equal chance to uh, get Picard if Varlamov goes down. It'll be a matter of how much they want to bid from their season amount of money allocated them for these types of acquisitions. Yeah, I really like playing this way. I think it's going to add a few little kinks and quirks into the usual player acquisition patterns that we see in fantasy leagues. Yeah, I have a feeling that most people will be saving their money for these types of situations when a starting goalie goes down and you've got to grab the Calvin Pickard or the Scott Darling. Unless Elon has already drafted Scott Darling, then you won't have the chance to do it. (laughs) Okay, Brian, we've talked about so many goalies today. We've also talked about some goalie drafting strategies. We've talked about it all. This has been great. This might be, I'm pretty sure this is going to be our longest episode ever of Keeping Carlson. I'm going to guess that right now. Is there anything else you want to talk about regarding goalies before we sign off? You should probably draft at least one. (laughs) Ha ha. All right, I can see you're tired. That's fair. Maybe I'll I'll end with a point of just saying there's going to be a goalie that we're talking about in like our fourth or fifth or maybe third tier that's going to end up like being in a top tier last year. Like, you know, guys like Holtby, we weren't talking about him last year as a top guy. Now we are. Dubnik, same thing. And then on the other hand, there's probably going to be some goalies that we've talked about in tiers one and two that are going to next year be like down in tier five. You know, like last year's Lettinen. So all that just to say... Drafting goalies is tough, and predicting them is also tough, and I think if you could get some of these solid guys, then you put yourself in a great position, but don't feel too bummed if you don't get the top goalies. Maybe if you could get skaters and get other goalies. I don't know. I've sort of changed my mind about goalie drafting strategies as we've been making this podcast. I think I used to be like, definitely you want to grab a goalie right away. Now I'm not so sure just because of how much it fluctuates. I'm very curious to hear the opinions of the listeners. Like I've said, you could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode, why not give us a five-star review on iTunes? It really helps out the show and it's free to you. And if you want to do something that's not free to you, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Brian, let's cue that outro music. And do you have any credits to read to us? This episode was researched with help from War on Ice, Yahoo Sports, ESPN Fantasy Hockey, and NHL.com. But it was mostly us, Elon. We did a ton of work for this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope people liked it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again with a new episode next week as we continue the preseason series. Great job, Brian, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Elon, and until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sun. <laughs>